Bibles with you tonight. Uh, we'll turn to the book of Genesis and the 45th chapter. Genesis chapter number 45 is where we'll be for this afternoon's service. Amen. It was good. It was good. Genesis chapter number 45. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll turn right to the chapter, okay? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Thank you for the church and the men and women that make up the body of Christ. Thank you for your word and what it means to us. I pray, God, that you would help us as we open it and we study from it. Lord, help us to learn something about you. Lord, learn something that would help us to draw closer to you tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that have been here week by week know that we have been building up to this point for some time now. Uh, it is amazing to me, as, as I've read through and studied through these chapters, it's amazing to me once again to see the way that God has worked in the life of Joseph. Now I'm sure that if you could have sit, sit down with the 17-year-old Joseph and, and you could have asked him to plan out his life, he never would have made the plans that 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 came his way he never would have left home he would have spent all his days in the land of Canaan he never would have been mistreated by his brothers I, I believe they mistreated him but he really loved them um, he, he never he never would have ended up in prison he never would have been lied about by Potiphar's wife Joseph never would have planned his life the way that his life turned out but if, but if Joseph never went through the things that Joseph went through, he never would have ended up where he ended up. And for the last several weeks, we've been studying, as God has brought to fruition, the plans and the dreams that he put in the heart of this young man all those years ago. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been studying as God has brought the ten and eleven sons of, of Jacob back into the land of Egypt, and uh, especially last Wednesday night and even the Wednesday before that, we've watched how God has been bringing ten of these sons to the place of repentance. God has been moving in their lives as they've made these two trips to Egypt. And now in chapter 44, they admit their wrongs and they've gotten to the place finally where God can bless them. Boy, I'm still excited about the way that Judah acted in chapter 44. When he said, we've got nothing to say, we've got no excuses to offer. God's found out some things that we did in secret. And God is bringing those things to light. Now we are reaping what we have sown. Boy, that sounds a lot like repentance to me. God has been working in the heart of these brothers to bring them to where he brings them in chapter number 45. Now, tonight I can't wait to study this chapter with you. Uh, and if I was to give this chapter a title, I would simply call it Revelation and Reunion. Revelation and Reunion. I want us to look at uh, a few things from the chapter. Number one, I want you to see Joseph's revelation. I want you to see Joseph's revelation. Look at verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. 
And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brothers, I, unto his brethren, I am Joseph. What about that? I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled. That word troubled means they trembled. For they trembled, they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now when the last chapter ended, the brothers of Joseph, you'll remember, were brought back into Joseph's house by his steward as they were trying to leave the land of Egypt. You remember that steward came upon them quickly, and he found that silver cup in Benjamin's sack, and they brought him back into Joseph's house. Now, when they brought them into the house, Joseph does not have the opportunity to address his brothers. For immediately, it seems like Judah begins to repent, and Judah begins to ask for forgiveness, and Judah begins to confess their sins. And when Judah begins to do what Judah does, Joseph, in return, does what he does in chapter number 45. Now, because the nature of this situation, the Bible says in verse 1 that Joseph causes all the Egyptians to leave the room. It seems as though because of the supposed theft, there was a delegation of Egyptians there. They were going to handle these men. They were going to handle the situation. But this is not a public matter that Joseph is going to deal with. This is a private matter. And because it was a private matter, Joseph changes his plans and he asks everyone to leave. Joseph cannot contain himself any longer. He knows that it's come. The time is right that he will reveal himself to his brothers. I wonder what these thought when Joseph asked everybody to leave. Boy, I bet they thought they were in trouble now. But it was strange when the man asked them to leave. I bet they found that strange. I wonder if they thought it was strange when the Egyptian, this powerful man that stood before them, began to weep and cry. I wonder what they thought when tears began to trickle off of his cheeks and he began to sob uncontrollably in front of them. I bet they wondered when he made everybody leave. And I bet they wondered when he began to cry. But I bet they were astonished when the first words that come out of his mouth are, I am Joseph. Boy, I wonder what they thought then. Can you imagine what went through their mind when this Egyptian Lord said those three words, I am Joseph. I bet they begin to think something like this. How does this Egyptian man know about our brother Joseph? Why is he... Not only does, how does he know about Joseph, but why is he claiming to be Joseph? If this is really Joseph, then oh, I bet we're in a lot of trouble now. I find it amusing that, at least this was amusing to me, I found it amusing that Joseph doesn't lead into the conversation. You, you would think that Joseph would say something like this. Now, you're not going to believe this, but I've got something to tell you. Maybe he would say, this is going to come as a shock to you. Or maybe he would say, you might want to sit down for this. But he doesn't say any of those things. 
he is so excited that he can't contain himself. And he's just got to get it out. I'm Joseph. That's all he can, he can manage to say. I thought about the excitement in Joseph as he just burst out. I am Joseph. Boy, he's so excited. I maybe have told you this story before. I was thinking about the day that I proposed to Davina. I maybe have told you all this. I, was, I, was, I had it planned out. I had a limousine, and we were going to go to a nice restaurant. And I was going to give her the ring, and it, in my mind it worked, and it was, it was awesome, and it was smooth. But I was so nervous and so excited, I could not make it out of the subdivision. And I proposed to her in the limousine, in the subdivision she lived in, before we got on the main road. Too nervous to wait. Glad she said yes. That's the way Joseph is. He cannot contain himself. He is so overcome with excitement, he just burst out. I am Joseph. According to verse number 3, the brothers are so shocked that they can't say anything. They can't answer. It has been 25 years since they have seen Joseph. And now this man reveals to them that he is Joseph. It has been him all along. And they are so terrified that they can't say anything. Now if there was any question to whether he was really Joseph or not, I believe verse number 4 answered that question for them. Joseph does three things uh, in verse number 4 that, that proves to them that he is in fact Joseph. Number 1, Joseph tells them, come near to me. An Egyptian would never, listen to me now, an Egyptian would never ask a Hebrew, a Jew, to come near. They kept their distance from the Jews. He would have never asked a Jew to come near. An Egyptian man would. And, and think about this. Every time Joseph has spoke to these men, he has done so through an interpreter. He has not spoke the Hebrew language to them. He did not want to reveal himself, so he spoke through an interpreter. But now he's asked everyone to leave, and he speaks in their own language. And he says, come here a minute. Number two, not only did he tell him to come near, but he cried. The Bible tells us that he begins to cry, and I believe he's crying uncontrollably. According to verse number two, he is crying so loudly that everybody in the house can hear it. He's not just got some, some tears. He is weeping uncontrollably, so loud everyone can hear it. You think about it, this is the third time. That Joseph has wept over his brothers. He wept the first time they came into Egypt and he saw them. He wept when they returned with Benjamin. Now he weeps again. But this time he can't mask it. He can't, he can't make it to the other room to cry alone and wash his face. He can't do it. He just simply breaks down and weeps in their presence. And I believe that those tears told them that he was really Joseph. Number three, not only was it his, his call to come near and, and them crying uncontrollably, but according to verse number four, Joseph addresses the family secret. Listen to what he says in verse number four. Come near. I'm Joseph, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. How did he say? Who you sold into slavery, into Egypt. 
They've not told anybody about that. There was only one person outside of that group of ten men that knew what happened that day. It was Joseph. Therefore, if this man knows the family secret, then it has to be him. It has to be Joseph. Oh, I see Joseph's revelation. I am Joseph. Number two, I see the brother's reassurance. I see the brother's reassurance. Look at verse number five. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. In these two years hath the famine been in the land. And yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring or harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord unto all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. In spite of the tears, the brothers are still shocked, and rightfully so. They honestly, I really believe this, they honestly believe that Joseph was dead. They never would have imagined that something like this was possible. And as Joseph speaks to them, I'm reading between the lines here, but I believe as Joseph speaks to them, He can see the look on their face. He can see the shock that is in the the expression on their faces. And I believe that he can see the worry that is on their faces. If the events of the last two chapters have brought back painful memories, and I believe they have, the fact that this man standing before them is the very one they abused and betrayed Oh, it brought back painful memories. Talk about your sins finding you out. Their sin was literally standing right before them. When Joseph sees the trouble in the eyes of his brothers, he begins to speak to them in verse number 5. I thought about this. I, I, I would hope, I would hope that you and me, if we were placed in this same position, would do as well as Joseph does. But it would have been very easy for Joseph to belittle these men for what they did. And rightfully, they would have deserved it. It would have been been easy for Joseph to speak to them in anger. They'd have deserved that too. Instead, Joseph speaks to them with a tender heart, full of love and full of compassion. I wonder how well we would have done in this situation. I, I can't move forward without pointing out The attitude of Joseph. When I read these verses, Joseph saying, don't be grieved. It wasn't you, it was God. He begins to say things like this. God sent me to the land of Egypt. God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. God worked in my life so that I could preserve posterity. I I, I, I want you to see a couple things about Joseph's attitude. First of all, I want you to see the fact that Joseph had made peace with his brothers. Joseph had made peace with his brothers in his heart. He he has allowed, if he had any anger, if he had any resentment, 
if he had any bitterness in his heart, he has allowed all of that to be let go. He doesn't harbor. He doesn't hold any grudges. He doesn't have any hard feelings. All of that has been released, and he talks to them with a a heart filled with love. This is a wonderful lesson for you and for me. Do you understand that this is the same way that God wants you and I as the children of God to be in our hearts toward those that, maybe even those that do us wrong? The Bible says in Matthew 5, 23, 24, 25, it says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou, canst, and thou be cast into prison. Jesus said, if you come to worship and you see there's something wrong in your heart, make that right in your heart and then come back to worship. And if you've got something against someone else, fix it just as quick as you can. That's just the opposite of what this world tells us to do, what our flesh tells us to do, what human nature tells us to do. Human nature says, hold on to that, harbor that, you'll get even with them someday. God said, get it right and let it go. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. He said, be ready to forgive and be willing to forgive over and over if that's what you need to do. Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.32 said, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ for God's sake hath forgiven you. Agree with them quickly. Make it right. Do it over and over again if you have to. Paul said, and, Paul said, and if it comes down to it, forgive them for Christ's sake because Christ forgave you. Is there somebody that you're harboring hard feelings toward? Is there somebody that in the hidden places of your heart you've got anger against? You've got bitterness against? Maybe it's something that happened yesterday or something that happened 10 years ago. I don't know, but it's there. And you know it's there. Maybe nobody else knows it's there, but you know that it's there. And you've held that thing and you've harbored that thing. Can I say tonight, by the grace of God, you ought to let it go. You ought to forgive them. You ought to follow Joseph's example. You'll feel better. Your spirit will be, feel better. You ought to just let it go. Anger and bitterness doesn't hurt anybody but you. Let it go. I see that Joseph had, has made peace with his brothers. But there's something else I want you to see. I want you to see that Joseph has made peace with God. Joseph is not angry at God. You can't read verses 5 through 8. And feel like Joseph is, is in the least bit angry with God. 
Joseph has accepted the fact that everything that has happened to him over the years has been God's hand. Joseph has accepted that this was not God harming him. This was God helping him. Joseph expected and believed that everything that had happened to him had, been ha- had happened by the hand of God for his good and for the good of his family. Joseph says God did this, but not in a negative way. He said God brought me through what he brought me through so that I could save your life. We may not admit it, but there are times in the midst of our struggles when the devil crawls up on our shoulders and he whispers in our ears things that we know are not true. He'll say something like, God really loved you, this wouldn't be happening. How can you trust a God that's allowed something like this to happen to you? Maybe he'll say something like this, Why does God bless everybody else, but He doesn't ever bless you? And then if you're not careful, this is what He'll say. You're probably not even saved. And when we're hurt, or we're grieving, something's gone wrong and we're in our storm, We hear that and we begin to think things that are not right and are not true. And if you are not careful, friend, you will find yourself angry at God. Oh yeah, that's one of those little little secret secret sins that nobody likes to talk about in the church. But you see somebody else and you don't think they're going through what you're going through. You pray about your situation that doesn't change. You pray about your situation that doesn't change. And eventually you start to get angry with God. God, why aren't you changing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why am I going through this? Joseph could have been angry with his brothers. He could have been angry with God. But you know what has happened? Joseph has not allowed himself to get angry. Joseph has not allowed himself to get bitter. Joseph has trusted God every step of the way. And now Joseph stands where Joseph stands, and he looks back over the last 25 years of his life, and he says, I can testify to you men that everything that has happened to me has happened to me because God had a plan for my life. God knew what he was doing. God was preserving life. God was... God was preserving your life as well as mine. This was all God and it was all good. Joseph said these were were blessings wrapped up in the disguise of burdens. He said, but when I unwrapped the package, it looked like a burden on the outside. But when I unwrapped the package, I found out on the inside it was really a blessing. Sometimes God gives you the gift and on the outside it looks like a burden. But on the inside it's really a blessing. I've used this verse so often as talking about the life of Joseph. But I I feel like I should use it one more time tonight. 
It's Romans 8.28. You could say it with me if you wanted to. For we know. Aren't you glad? There's some things we know. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now before I move on, let me say something. The hand of God was moving in the life of Joseph. That is undoubtedly clear. But that does not excuse these men for doing what they did. Don't forget that. They were wrong in what they did. This story simply teaches us this principle. God is able to move in every situation, whether good or bad. God can take good things and bring good out of it, and God can take bad things and and bring good out of it. God didn't make them do this, but God used this situation in a magnificent way. Number three, I see the family's relocation. I see Joseph's revelation. I see the brother's reassurance. Now number three, I see the family's relocation. Verse number nine, Haste ye, go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. There will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste to bring down my father hither. I love that Joseph, I, I love that Joseph, uh, had this great love toward his family. But it's amazing to see the, 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 the love that Joseph has toward his father. He loves his father. And he tells them, is my father alive? Verse number one, or, or verse number three, I'm sorry. Is my father alive? Go tell my father. Go bring my father. You can see the love that he had for his family and specifically for his father in these chapters. If Joseph is Lord in Egypt, there's no reason that his family should be starving to death back in Canaan. Joseph tells them something that they did not know. He tells them there are five more years of famine. They would come to poverty if they did not leave Canaan and go into Egypt. It would make no sense for them to travel over 600 miles from Canaan to Egypt back and forth over the next five years. Just come to Goshen, Joseph says, and I'll take care of you there. Can I remind you of something? I want to remind you of a verse. It's Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised to provide for and protect Abraham. This promise was now being fulfilled in the life of Jacob through the life of Joseph. God was not going to let them starve to death in the land of Canaan. Instead, God was going to move this family down into Goshen. Now, watch this. God said in Genesis 12, 
I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a nation. That's what he said, Genesis 12, right? When they leave the land of Canaan and they go down into Goshen, Joseph says, I'm going to provide for you there. That's the blessings of God. I'm going to bless you there. But what happens is a little family, a family leaves Canaan and goes into Goshen. But when they leave Goshen, they won't be a family anymore. They'll be a nation. They'll go into, they'll go into Goshen, a little family. They'll go out by the millions in the, in the book of Exodus. God's going to take them down into Goshen where he can fulfill the promises to Abraham. He's going to feed them there and he's going to turn them into a nation. Joseph instructs them, go home, give dad the good news, pack up your belongings, move to the land of Goshen where I can provide for you. Verse 14, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. From the moment, I don't know if you've realized this, but from the moment that Joseph revealed himself with the words, I am Joseph, in verse number 3, he has not stopped talking up until this point. He has talked and talked and talked. He, is, he, he has told them he is Joseph. He has explained the plan of God. He's told them that they need to move to Goshen. He, he has not stopped talking up until this point. That's a lot to drop on somebody at one time. When Joseph finishes talking, he falls on their necks and he kisses them and he weeps. I believe that when Joseph fell on their necks and embraced them, they realized two things. Number one, they realized this was Joseph. And number two, they realized that they had been forgiven. Can I point something out to you and then I'll, I'll move on and finish? Can I point out to you how this is a wonderful picture of Christ? I want you to think about something with me. Joseph was mistreated by his brethren, treated like a slave, placed into prison. But from the prison, Joseph arises victorious to the throne. Does he not? He's second in command to Pharaoh. He rises from the place of suffering, the place of betrayal. He arises from that to the throne. And when he gets on the throne, he's able to offer forgiveness and he's able to offer blessings. Can I say that's a wonderful picture of Christ? Christ had to go to the cross. He had to go to the place of suffering and the place of shame, the place of betrayal. He went to the cross so that he could three days later get up from the grave and rise to his place on the throne. And once he got to the place of the throne, he started offering forgiveness to his brethren and blessings to all those that come near unto him. What a picture of Christ. When you add to that, when he got to the throne, he took a Gentile bride. We could go on and on. Wonderful picture of Christ. Oh, let me show you one more. Well, I said one, I, I meant two. Let me show you another, another one. It's in the book of Acts, chapter number 7 and verse number 13. Stephen is preaching in Acts 7, 13, and he says this. He said, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. You know what Stephen said? 
Stephen said it was the second time that Joseph revealed himself to his brother that, that they caught on to who he was. The first time they came to Egypt and the second, even the, the second trip, every time Joseph saw him, they didn't know who he was. But on the second trip, he revealed himself and they recognized who he was. The second trip. Mm. Can I say something? Can I say that the first time Jesus came to his brethren, John chapter number 1, he came into his own and his own received him not. They did not, they, he, he was not revealed to them the first time. They rejected him. They hung him on a tree. But he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, they'll look at him and they'll say, according to Zechariah, where'd you get those nail prints in your hands? And he'll say, I got them in the house of my friends. And a nation will be turned to God. And he will be revealed to his brethren. And his brethren will accept him on that day. You better believe it, friend. Just like Joseph. After Joseph falls on his brothers, the scripture tells us, for the very first time, they talked to him. That's what it says. They talked to him. I, I, I don't know what they said. I, I, I don't know. But the Bible says they talked to him. The last time that Joseph was in their presence and they knew it was Joseph, the Bible says, Brother Scott, they hated him so bad, this is what the Scripture says, they could not speak peaceably unto him. But now there's been repentance, and there's been forgiveness, and now they can talk to him. Oh, yes. I wonder if they didn't start out by saying something like this. Joseph, we're sorry. I believe that's what they said. I see the, 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 the family's relocation. Last of all, I'm out of here. Number, number four, I see Jacob's rejoicing. I see Jacob's rejoicing. And the famine there and the fame there, thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, Do this ye, laid your beast, and go, get ye into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Can I pause and say, they did not have wagons in the land of Egypt. The invention of the wheel was a pretty neat thing, and the Egyptians had it. He said, take these wagons and go get them. Take the wagons, he said, and go get them. Bring them. He said, verse, verse number 20, also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the way. It seems that the Egyptians that were asked to leave the room in verse number 1 didn't go very far. They stayed close enough. They were probably Baptist Egyptians. They stayed close enough to get the lowdown on what was going on. Because, you know, they would need to call other people and, well, have them pray about it. You know, I just I wanted to hear it so I could tell you how to, how to pray about it. When Pharaoh hears the news they, that they bring to him, he's just as excited as everybody else is. Joseph had literally saved the world. He had literally made 
Pharaoh a wealthy man. Pharaoh cared deeply for Joseph. And he rejoiced when the news came that Joseph's brethren were found. When Pharaoh hears the glad tidings, he, he, he not only instructs them to come as Joseph did. Joseph said, go get your stuff, come to Goshen. But Pharaoh adds to that. Pharaoh gives them transportation to bring their belongings and to bring their families. Pharaoh promises to give them the fat of the land. And he promises to give them everything that they need. In fact, he said, go ahead and load up the wagons and take whatever you need for the journey. Do you see what's happening? The king is providing for the family for Joseph's sake. Can I say every morning I wake up to a new, a new set of blessings and all it is is the king providing to, for me for Jesus' sake. Verse 22, And all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laid with the good of the things of Egypt and ten, uh, ten she-asses laid with the corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. I love this. Joseph, Joseph knows his brothers well. Watch what happens. Verse 20, 22, 23, he sends them home. Verse 24, so he sent his brethren away and they departed and he said to them, See that you fall not out by the way. When they sold Joseph into slavery, at the age of 17, they took his coat away. Now he gives them all, now he gives them all changes of raiment. When they sold Joseph into slavery, they did it for 20 pieces of silver. Now he gives Benjamin 300 pieces of silver. And he gives them plenty of food in addition to that. And then verse 24, boy, he, know, he, he knows these brothers. As they're pulling out of Egypt, Joseph says, oh yeah, one more thing. Don't y'all get to fussing and fighting on the way home. That's what he says. Don't fall out, by the way. These ten boys, you know, Joseph, no, Joseph knows how they are. They wouldn't have much more pulled out of Egypt before one of them said, see, I told you all those years ago we shouldn't have done that. It's your fault the whole time. And they'd have fussed the whole way back to Canaan. You know what that tells me? This is a picture of salvation, what happened in their lives. It's a picture of salvation. But you know what it tells me? It tells me, first of all, that even though we've been saved, the old nature's still inside of us. Don't fall out, by the way. You've, you've made things right, but that old, that old man will creep back up if you're not careful. And it also tells me that once we've been saved, we should strive to get along with other people. Psalms 133, 1, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Joseph, unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. When the brothers return and give Jacob the wonderful news, the Bible says he doesn't believe them. I can understand why Jacob was a little apprehensive. These men have not been the truest of men, although they continually say that they are. 
Plus, think about the story they just tell their dad. Dad, Joseph is alive. He's the second in charge of, of the whole land of Egypt. He wants us to move down to Goshen, and he's promised to take care of us when we get there. That's a lot. You can see why he'd have a hard time accepting it. When Jacob hears the news, the Bible says his heart faints. It means, it means he went numb. Some Bible commentators say that he, he may have been close to having a heart attack in this verse. Jacob's 130 years old in this passage of Scripture. But now you think about something. These men say, Joseph's alive. He's in charge. He wants us to come. He's going to take care of us. You know what else they had to say, Brother Tom, that the Scripture doesn't say? You know what else they had to say? They had to say, Dad, all those years ago we didn't tell you the truth. Dad, we've got to tell you something, what we did. I believe they had to ask Joseph to forgive them. Now they're having to ask Jacob to forgive them. The more the brothers talked, told their father the words of Joseph, the more his heart revived. And finally he accepts it. It's true. Joseph is alive. Jacob wants to immediately go. Let's go. I, I, I'm close to dying. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I've got to see my boy before I die. Jacob's 130. We know that he'll go to Egypt. And the next time he comes back to the Canaan land, it'll be for a burial. His burial. 17 years later, Joseph has lived, or I'm sorry, Jacob. Jacob has lived his entire life fighting. He's lived his entire life fussing. He's lived his entire life feuding. But for the next 17 years, he's going to enjoy his family. He's going to see his, his son that he's not seen in 25 years. He's going to see his two grand, grandsons. He'll meet Manasseh and Ephraim when he gets there. He'll, he'll get to see those grandchildren. God is, God is going to let Jacob live out the last years of his life in peace in the land of Goshen. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight. Thank you for the scriptures and how, how wonderful they are. Lord, I pray that you would bless our church, bless these men and women, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.